Hello and welcome to the Huntsman World Senior Games Active Life. My name is Kyle Case and I'll be your host on this amazing journey as we attempt to help you get the most out of your life. Today I'm flying solo because my normal co-pilot Lil Baron is out of town and so I'm just going to muddle along as best I can. But there is something that's been on my mind lately and maybe it's something that I think about I don't know, maybe a little too much. I do spend I do spend time thinking about it and that is cognitive health. Now, I have a family history of Alzheimer's disease and dementia in my family on both sides. Both of my grandmothers had dementia and uh, suffered from Alzheimer's disease. And so it's something that I think about for myself. I think about it for my parents. I think about it for my siblings. So when I saw an article that was written by Donna Friedman from Money Talks News, the name of the article was called uh, The Top 10 Foods for Protecting Your Brain as You Age, I thought, I'm going to check this out. And uh, we won't have time to go through all 10 of those foods, but there are some foods on this list that are worth mentioning, and I thought I would share them with you today. So the first thing to point out is that there are plenty of good reasons to eat your vegetables. And uh, one of those reasons may be that they might prevent cognitive decline. That is according to a 2021 study out of Harvard University. This study was published in the journal Neurology, and the study looked at the health data and self-reported dietary information of more than 77,000 men and women in the United States over a 20-year period. So uh, this is a significant study. The average age at the start of the period was 51 for men and 48 for women. And they talked to 77,000 people. So the information that they found, I think, is credible and worth at least considering. The study authors found that those who consume the most flavonoids were 20% less likely to report having trouble with thinking and memory than those who consumed the fewest flavonoids. So flavonoids, if you're not familiar, I'll admit I wasn't familiar with what they are, but they are the naturally occurring compounds responsible for the vivid colors in many fruits and vegetables. And they are also considered powerful antioxidants, which may fight inflammation among other health benefits. So flavonoids are the things that we're looking for. And there is mounting evidence suggesting that flavonoids are powerhouses when it comes to preventing your thinking skills from declining as you get older. That is according to the co-author of this study that I referred to. His name was Dr. Walter Willett. He's a professor of epidemiology and nutrition at the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health. And um, even, uh, even the study participants, this, is, this was good news I found, who didn't eat a flavonoid-rich diet until later in their life saw some cognitive benefits as well. So in other words, it's not too late to adopt healthier eating habits, and it's never too late, but it was great to see some uh, benefits, even if people started eating those more colorful fruits and vegetables later on in their lives. So I'm going to go through just a few of these fruits and vegetables that they recommend. Like I said, we won't hit them all, but uh, I'm going to touch on a few of them that I thought were interesting and, and maybe a little surprising to me at least. The first one is Brussels sprouts. Now, I don't know how everyone feels about Brussels sprouts, but I have noticed that they are probably one of the most maligned vegetables out there. Whenever someone talks about how much they don't like to eat vegetables, they almost always refer to Brussels sprouts. And the fact is, is if you overcook them, they give you kind of a stinky sulfur smell and a bitter taste. But if you do cook them right, 
you'll enjoy a nutty sweetness. And they also have some pretty tasty health benefits that go along as well, according to this study out of Harvard. Brussels sprouts contain beta carotene, vitamin C and K, folate fiber, and other types of healthy goodness, all good for your brain. The second one I wanted to touch on was strawberries. Now, there is some bad news that comes with strawberries. Strawberries are number one on the list called the Dirty Dozen, which is what the Environmental Working Group calls its annual ranking of the fruits and vegetables with the most pesticide residue. So they do tend to have a lot of pesticide attached to them. But on the bright side, berries are some of the healthiest things that you can eat. According to another Harvard professor who is not involved in the 2021 study, uh, berries are great for us. They provide vitamin C and K, potassium, magnesium, fiber, and prebiotics, which are carbohydrates that promote a healthy human gut. And berry consumption can reduce the risk of heart attack. And it appears that foods high in anthocyanins, which is a type of flavonoid found mostly in strawberries and blueberries, they can help you keep the weight off as well. And the good news about strawberries is that, and berries in general, is that you get the same health benefits from many frozen berries as you do from the fresh ones. And one more that I wanted to share with you quickly, and that is the sweet potato. Now, sweet potatoes come in different colors. The orange varieties have the most beta carotene, and the purple ones have the most anthocyanins, which is a type of flavonoid believed to help prevent cardiovascular and neurodegenerative diseases. All are a source of vitamin C and B6, potassium and fiber. And there you go. Just a few foods to think about if you're thinking like I am about your cognitive health that uh, might be helpful and useful in the long run. I want to get to today's guest. She is from the Intermountain Healthcare Live Well Center. Susan Jones is a certified exercise physiologist and a certified fall-proof instructor. She graduated from Dixie State University with a bachelor's degree in exercise science in the fall of 2018 and has been at the Livewell Center ever since. Susan, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. Glad uh, that you could take a minute and, and visit with us. This, this is kind of your industry, health and wellness. You may not uh, be a registered dietitian, but you might have mm -hmm. some opinions on the things that I just shared there. What do you think about flavonoids and cognitive health? Well, um, I can't say I know a lot about flavonoids, but <laughs> that's I fair. That's fair. <laughs> I definitely um, agree with lots of fruits and vegetables in the diet. So you get lots of benefits that way. Um, I'm mostly maintaining healthy weight. So they're very good for that because they're high volume, low calories. So lots of fiber. Things to definitely include. Plus, you know, you get a lot of different vitamins and minerals and fiber and stuff like that too. So. Yeah, for sure. It's, and it's I, for one, like Brussels sprouts. So. <laughs> you know what? Hey, I'll admit, I used to be one of those that maligned them. And then finally, I had somebody show me how to make them the right way. And, uh, you know, my wife and I eat them occasionally. I, I'm not going to say that we have them every night. I won't even say that we have them every week. But every once in a while, we pull out the Brussels sprouts and we have a great addition to our dinners. So, uh, so yeah, Brussels sprouts can be good if they're done yeah. the right way. So today, Susan, I want to talk with you a little bit about this concept of fall proof. It says that you're a, a certified fall proof instructor. Tell me what that is exactly. Okay. So um, being a fall proof instructor, you have to, well, it's just like any certification. You have to take a, a class and then there's obviously some kind of um, testing at the end. We had to do testing to make sure you understood the, the um, material, but then there's also a skills testing and it was developed by um, a 
Dr. Rhodes, uh, Rose, sorry, um, down in Southern California. She's at Fullerton, um, University of California in Fullerton. And um, she's just spent a ton of years researching, um, well, just that fall proof, stuff like that. So she um, did a lot of studies that created a lot of data that we can um, measure people, you know, like that, um, measure people against so when we do assessments and things like that, then people, when they come in, we can say, well, this is how you kind of stack up against people, your same age and sex and stuff like that. So um, yeah, just lots of information that way. So she has this whole program that she runs and we read a book. You, you, <laughs> I mean, you I go through it and you understand by, it by any means, but then there's just the whole, um, just different aspects of it. So we just learned the different components of balance and how to um, help people get stronger at each of those components. So is there, it sounds like there's a lot of research and kind of data driven information. Mm -hmm. I'm assuming that there's also a practical side of it as well. And yeah. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. So that was, we didn't just have to take like a written test. We had to do like a, um, where she actually watches you to see how you teach a class. And like, we had to pass off all the different assessments and things like that. And um, yeah, and just show that we understood the material and how we would react in a class setting with people who might be at risk of falling. So making sure that we're safe, all things. So yeah. So do you have to, do you have to also um, analyze yourself for a risk of falling or, or is that not part of the, the actual program? Well, not officially, but <laughs> in, in order to be able to teach, you know, people through different assessments and assess their um, uh, risk for falling, you have to know how to perform the test. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's great. Yeah. I, I would assume that there would be some level of, you know, a physical aspect of it as well. Oh, so, yeah. oh so for let's sure. Talk, yeah. Let's talk a little bit about falls. Um, you know, this is probably not something that is on the top of everyone's mind. And yet I think many of us know somebody who has maybe fallen and had suffered a serious injury. And especially as we age, it's something that we need to be aware of. So what do you, what do we know? What can you tell us about falling in general and, and how to, you know, kind of prepare or, or avoid them? Okay. So, I mean, it's, it's hard to say avoid. Um, we can do things our um, potential of not falling. I said that backwards, but like kind of um, give ourselves the best scenario so that we reduce risk, if that makes sense. Um, definitely everybody probably knows somebody who's fallen and has had some kind of serious injury. I mean, even in my own family, like my grandma, she fell and broke her hip or yeah. I mean, then just kind of like one of the points I was going to say, so a lot of times people will fall and, sometimes they don't ever recover from yeah. their fall. Their injuries are so bad or they gain so much more fear because they fell. And so then they kind of shy away from activity and things like that, which can actually make it so that they are more likely to fall. Um, hopefully my mom doesn't get mad, but I actually earlier this year, my mom had a pretty bad fall where she fell and she broke both of the um, bones in her, her forearm, which was, it was pretty severe. Wow. So I mean, she luckily was able to, um, recover from that and have, have surgery and everything. But yeah, I mean, and it just, and it can happen so quick. 
that's the thing too. So, um, and, and then there's the, there's a big prevalence for falling. Um, there's like 30 years of data work that shows that, um, consistently that, uh, older adults report falling in the previous year, there's 20 to 30% of those older adults that report that they have had a fall in the previous year. Um, CDC reports that one in every four Americans, 65 and older will experience a fall every year. So, I mean, it's, it's pretty significant. Um, and it's the leading cause of injury among older adults. So, um, like I said, some so severe that they may never fully recover. And then it also, like I said, it can trigger like a downward um, health spiral. So it leads to activity restriction and then due to fear of that injury and then subsequent um, functional decline um, over time that can lead to long-term care and sometimes even death. Sometimes people never fully recover and it leads to an earlier death than they maybe would have had. Um, so there's definitely reasons why we would want to try to prevent as much as we can um, with that. So I, wanna, like, I just, I, you, you said so many interesting things. I want to just emphasize that you mentioned it's somewhat prevalent. That is wildly prevalent among older yeah. adults, 65 plus you're saying about 25% of 65 year olds and above are going to fall down at some point during a year. Is that, is that what you're saying? Yeah. And I mean, and, and what leads after that fall, it, we, you know, it kind of depends on their situation, how bad the fall is, things like that. But um, we just definitely want to reduce that risk of falling because you just don't know what is going to come from it. So for sure, um, man, 20, 25% is huge. I just think about other things that we do every day. You know, if you got in a car wreck 25% of the time, I think that would be, you know, that would be a a different scenario. So that's significant. That's something that we ought to really be thinking about and be aware of. Yeah, absolutely. And there's, you know, different risk factors that can kind of lead to it as well. Um, so one of the biggest things and one, what I probably would want to focus on the most, um, with our chat today is lower body weakness is the most significant risk factor that people probably don't realize. Um, but if you think about lower body weakness, um, it can contribute to falls because if people aren't strong enough to move correctly, then they're automatically at a higher risk for a fall. Um, maybe they have some kind of like a trip or some kind of, we call them perturbations, but it happens all the time. Think about like when you're going into like a grocery store or there's a crowd or something like that. How many times have you been bumped? For an older adult, that's pretty, that's can cause a fall right there. So being able to react quickly if, the, if they have less lower body strength, then it's harder for them to react, if that makes sense. Um, the other risk factors obviously include like your their fall history, like we kind of talked about before. Um, if they've had a fall and they're scared of falling, sometimes it just holds them back from being as aggressive. I guess, I don't know if that's the right word or not, but um, they just are more cautious. And so they kind of hold back and so they don't move as well if they're being overly cautious. Um, again, they don't do some of the things that they're, they're afraid to do things like exercise and stuff like that. So that can cause problems. Um, and then this, the lower body weakness can also cause like gait deficiencies and um, different balance deficiencies, um, which all of these can be kind of minimized with appropriate training. So that's kind of where, where I was going with that one. Other risk factors 
could be like a health status. So sometimes it's not that they don't want to, or they're not motivated to come and try and things like that. But sometimes they just have health issues that um, just make it so that it, it just are a higher risk altogether. And um, then of course uh, there's like the environmental factors, things that they can't control, but some things that we can control is our strength. And then there are specific balance exercises that we can do to kind of help um, them be better. I, it's almost kind of these innate things that we have, but as we age, um, sometimes our bodies forget that we have them. So we kind of reteach them that they do have like these um, tools kind of in their back pocket. So um, things that kind of to keep in um, that we do work with them on shameless plug here. Yes, we do have balance and mobility classes here at the Liberal Center. So yeah, yeah. if you're interested in that, come in and get an assessment, put you in the right class. But um, we have things we try to focus on is an anticipatory control or the control. So um, sometimes when we move and that what we call the center of mass is, you know, right around the, the middle part of us. And that's going to be, I don't know how I want to explain it the wrong way, but it has a lot of kind of tells you where you're going to be going. Like if your center of mass is moving one direction, that's where yeah, you're going to yeah, be. That's, going. that's where your body's going to go. Right. <laughs> yeah. So like, say you're, um, trying, you're moving, you're doing a voluntary movement and your center of mass is going to move sometimes depending on what it is that can move beyond the base of support and cause some kind of instability, if that makes sense. So things that we will work with people on are things like hill raises. So you can see how they're, they're purposely going up on their toes, but their base of support is reduced, but they are controlling that center of mass. So they're become more aware of what they're doing and how to control that, if that makes sense. Another um, example would be like putting like toe taps up onto like a bench that they're going to do out in real life all the time. They're going to go up curbs. They're going to go up on steps. They're going to get in and out of cars, things like that. So yeah. they're going to be doing these things on purpose. It's not going to be one of the movements. Still need to know how to move their center of mass in order to control that movement, if that makes sense. Um, Another thing that we work on is dynamic stability. Um, and that's just being able to maintain the center of mass position, even when the base of support is changing. So like getting out of a chair, um, heel, like heel to toe, we do a lot of heel to toe walking because um, that's a re reduced base of support, but they're still trying to walk in that straight line and still control that center of mass as they're moving forward, um, stuff like that. So. Um, another big one is functional stability limits. So being able to move their center of mass as far as possible in any direction uh, in that base of support. So we kind of try to push them through different things. So they're kind of, again, it's voluntary. It's, they're doing it on their own. But just for example, like in everyday life, everybody just, you're going to be standing, you might be standing in line at the grocery store or wherever it is. Um, we have like this natural sway. And we can go a certain amount of degrees forward, backward, and side to side, different things like that. So we'll, we'll work on those kinds of things and just getting them to um, clue into other um, cues as far as like their vision. Um, the one big one is feeling where they are at in relation to the ground. So there's like that proprioceptive feedback from like their feet. So we'll kind of point out, well, where's the pressure in your feet? Do you feel where the pressure is in your feet? Is it more to the front? Is it more to the back? Is it on one leg, the other leg? So things like that. 
um, kind of help them. And then we can take them a little further and we can do like weight shifting as far as we possibly can in all the different directions, but being able to still maintain that upright posture, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. And another thing that we do, and this one's probably the worst, I hate teaching it, is reactive <laughs> control. So talk about those perturbations, like, you know, you maybe get hit, you know, when you're going into a crowd or something like that, and it can bump somebody, especially an older adult, and can cause a loss of balance. Um, but we teach them, there's just different things we can work with them on um, to help them recover that stability after that center of mass is kind of moved un unexpectedly if that makes sense. Um, so we call these external or involuntary perturbations and um, specifically actually in one of our, I don't wanna give it away because I don't want somebody to come in and know what we're gonna do to them when we do an assessment, but there is one test item where they don't know. And I'm, I have them lean into my hand backwards and I at some point take my hand away. Pull your hand away. And, yeah, and I'm still there. So like if something bad were to happen, I could, yeah. I've got them and everything like that. But it's just to see how well they can react to that kind of a thing. And then we, you know, in our classes, we keep them safe. Most of the time I do it, it's a voluntary thing. We'll, we'll do that sway that we talked about before. And I just tell them to push outside of their um, stability limits. And then to the point where they either have to react with like their hips or they have to take a step. Both of those strategies or will come in handy out in the real world. If that makes sense. But of course they're safe. They're next to like a balance bar. I'm right next to them, you know, things like that. But it's just like those uh, tools that I was talking about that you kind of put in the, their back pocket and they don't all have to necessarily think about, we just kind of pull it out of their, I don't know what to call it, like their memory. I mean, their body, their kind yeah. of muscle memory, if that makes sense. So things that we normally would have, but sometimes as we age, we lose those things. And then of course, like I said before, strength, because it's the number one risk factor for um, loss of balance and being able to control that. So we will spend a lot of time in class. We'll spend about half the time in our classes. We have two classes a week and they're about an hour each. And we will spend half of it on just strengths, particularly lower body strength. Yeah. You know, there's so, there's so many things to unpack there and, and we're not going to have time to even, um, you know, touch on very much at all, just, uh, just, just because of, of, uh, the time that we have left. But to me, it sounds like the, the main thing for all of us, you know, whether we're 65 or older, or we're coming up on that <laughs> benchmark, yeah. however quickly it's approaching for any of us, it seems to me like what you're saying is one of the best things we can do is to just kind of keep moving. Yeah. And, you know, if it, whether that movement is, you know, playing pickleball or tennis, or maybe it's playing, um, softball or it's volleyball, or maybe it's just walking or, you know, whatever it is, riding a bike, whatever it is, that movement uh, that just becomes a part of our lives is going to help us in the long run when it comes to our balance, which of course is going to help us in the long run when it comes to falls. I, I wish I had the statistics off the top of my head. I, I don't have them, but I do know that generally speaking, senior athletes fall less than the general population. And I don't know what the statistics or the percentages are, but that's, that's just a, you know, one more plug or, or an encouragement to stay active, to stay out there competing and, and doing the things that you always love to do or to pick up something new as we go along. Susan, thank you so much. I, we've unfortunately run out of time, but what great information and something definitely that we need to keep in mind for all of us as we age 
And as we get older, that we've got to keep our lower body strong. And we got to do that through resistance training. And that can be body weights or whatever, but we've just got to stay moving and, and uh, stay balanced so that we can avoid some of these long-term problems that we talked about. Yep. Awesome. Well, Susan, once again, thank you so much. We appreciate your time. Uh, we're we're going to send you on your way, wishing you the best. And hopefully we'll have a chance to uh, you know explore this a little bit further down the road. Yeah, that'd be great. Awesome. Thank you, Susan. So just a couple of reminders here as we wrap up the show, it is time to get registered for the Huntsman World Senior Games. Uh, If you register before August 1st, you can save yourself $20 off the registration fee. So you want to take advantage of that. You can get all the information that you need to know, the rules, the schedules, maps, you name it. It's all at seniorgames.net. Also remember that this is our 35th anniversary year. We've been talking about it all year long and we are giving away 35 registration fee waivers. Be sure to follow us on our social media. That is at worldseniorgames.net and uh, World Senior Games on all the social media platforms to find out how you might be able to win a registration fee waiver and uh, compete in the games this year in 2022. We want to remind you to tune in live next and every Thursday at 5.30 p.m. Mountain Time on AM 1450 or FM 93.1 for the Huntsman World Senior Games Active Life. We take this live show, we turn it into a podcast, and you can subscribe anywhere that podcasts are found. If you happen to be listening by podcast, take a moment and give us a rating or write a quick review. It really helps us spread the word. And then, as always, you can find this and previous shows right on our website, once again, at seniorgames.net. So check that out. Today's inspirational thought, it's a good one. Be the type of person you want to meet. Until next Thursday, stay active.